The worship team for leading us in worship. Welcome to our service today. Just before uh, we get into the preaching of the word, uh, just a, a few special announcements this morning. Uh, today, uh, Bethany Telford is getting married. Uh, we want to send our best wishes to Barry and Elsie and Meredith, and of course, Bethany as she gets married uh, today. Uh, also, there's been some uh, new babies in the church this week. Glenn and Charlene Irvine have had a little boy called Lyndon. Um, congratulations this morning to Kenny at the back there, who's become a granddad for the first time for our baby Caleb. And also to Denise Burke, who attends uh, second uh, service. She's had a, another grandson called D-Roy, uh, her, her, her eighth grandchild, so uh, well used to it now. And also this morning, uh, we're delighted, most people will know this, uh, Johnny and Ashley are expecting their first baby in March. So, congratulations. That's a lot of babies. Just check there's nobody else pregnant or with a baby or just before I've missed anybody and stuff. That's good to, to know. On Tuesday evening is our missions prayer meeting. Our missions team is headed up by Michael Totten. And uh, previously, pre-COVID, we were doing this on a Wednesday night. We've now moved it to a Tuesday night. It would be great to see as many people as possible here. The missions prayer meeting is so important. It's praying for stuff that's outside of Living Hope. We pray for helping hands and, and the work all over Ireland and stuff. So it'd be great to see people in attendance on uh, Tuesday night at eight o'clock. It would be great to see uh, people here. We're continuing on this morning with our sermon series through Isaiah, uh, and we're coming to chapter 43, and we're simply looking this morning at Isaiah, the one who loves us. Just to give a bit of context, uh, chapter 42, it ends with God's sorrow simply over the spiritual decay of his people. We've talked for many weeks about the, the relationship between God and the people and in uh, now sorry kids space is on for those I've forgotten now those who are part of kids space if you head on to the back there um, they've been revealed in the chapter the people have as blind inattentive falling short defeated disobedient and, and insensitive they're on this journey to come back from captivity as God restores them and they're questioning whether God still loves them but as we move into chapter 43 God expresses his love for the people and the benefits of that love which we're going to read in the first few verses of Isaiah 43 and all the promises that I mentioned here apply even more to those uh, that are the children of God today through Jesus Christ. And the three main things that come through this when we talk about God being the one who loves us is that God created the people of Israel. They were special to him. God redeemed them, called them by name to be those who belong to him. And God protected them in times of trouble. And this message really follows on from that assurance message uh, last Sunday. And so we read the verses that says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, I will not sweep over you. 
When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. In the opening verse, verse 1, is a declaration simply of the reasons why uh, God loved the people then and God loves us now. And the four reasons are this. The first one, this, he has created us. And remember when we looked in Isaiah chapter 40, as God has been the creator of the heavens and the earth. And, and the creation is really the story of God determining to have a people of his own. And it's why we were created. Uh, more specifically, uh, the chosen people here, the race of Israel, uh, he's brought them into being and he's shaped them on the wheel of circumstances. And though they've not had a great time because of the wrong choices that they've made for the judgment that has been cast upon them because of the cho choices that they've made, they still are God's people. They still are his people because they are special uh, to him because he has created them. The second thing is this, is, is he's redeemed us. Uh, and God simply made himself the next of kin. Uh, to understand this, we need to have an understanding of what it means in the Old Testament, that simply this is uh, you were responsible for your family if they went into debt. So all those aunts and uncles and people that you didn't like in your family, if they went into debt and were just about to get, get sold into slavery, you were responsible for the redemption of them, for redeeming them, for paying the price to save them from going into slavery it's the same principle it's the same image that God uses when he says he has redeemed us that the price has been paid by his son Jesus and for the people here he simply sees them as his family and he shoulders that responsibility of simply paying their debt by, by redeeming them. And it, it, when you read this, it's quite interesting because they're God's chosen people, the special people, they have done nothing They've done absolutely nothing in advance for the grace that God has made available to them. It doesn't tell us in any of these verses that they repented or that they, they said sorry to God or they made promises. They're simply God has redeemed them. The, this grace has become available to them. You know, they haven't had to repent, promise to change their ways. God simply declares he has redeemed them as a completed fact in a sense that he has redeemed them. And, and so the fourth, the third thing we see is he has summoned them by name, he's called them by name. That It's important to see the association with creation. God created them, God formed them, uh, and so God can redeem them. Almost he's claiming them as his own because he's created them, formed them, and says, well, I can redeem them. They're mine. The, the, the people are mine. They're special to me. So the Redeemer bought an unfortunate relative out of slavery and debt. He rescued them and paid the price that they could not pay. And the fourth thing then, summing that up in verse one, is simply this. He's called us his. We belong to him. 
It says one of the songs that we sung this morning just simply talked about us belonging. You know, we, we belong to him regardless of our association with anybody or anything this morning as we come to church and we worship and we break bread and we listen to the word. How do we know uh, that he loves us? Well, simply this, he's called us his. We're, we're his this morning. He says we belong uh, to him. Uh, and so here in this passage, probably summing this up is this, that God has rights of ownership both as creator and redeemer. His ownership is personal because he says, I have called you by name, and that ownership is certain because he seals it by saying you are mine. Uh, simply the difference between the Old Testament thought in Isaiah here and the New Testament thought is Isaiah is speaking a message to a group of people. Uh, in the New Testament, God is speaking to us individually uh, and knows us by name. He knows them by name as a collective group in a sense. But with the coming of Jesus and what Jesus has done uh, for you and for me by dying on the cross simply this morning, he doesn't look us, at us as a collective group. He looks at us individually by name and says, you are mine. And knowing this, that, knowing that, that, that truth that we belong to God is, is simply a wonderful answer to fear, isn't it? He says we can know that he holds us, he protects us, he guards us and cares for us says we are living in a society of fear. says everywhere around us is fear uh, and it consumes people. We must not let it consume the church and we must not let it consume the believers because there will always be something to be afraid of. There will always be something that will test us. And so therefore we overcome our fear by placing our faith in God because God is both our creator and our redeemer and declares to us that we're simply his and so we, we, we use our faith in a sense, not, uh, not, not to sort of some magic trick over what's going on, but simply when facing the fear that, that people are facing, we respond in a different way. And the different way that we respond is by faith, is that we trust God. Whether it's a pandemic or whether it's an illness or whether it's financial trouble or whether it's a burden, it doesn't matter what it is, there will always be something that we will be fearful of. So therefore, we have to approach and challenge our fear head on by saying that our faith is in God. And with our faith being in God, it doesn't necessarily mean that we will always get the answers that we want and we will always be victorious and we will always be delivered from that. But as we see later on in this passage, the result of the words that God wants to say to them in these seven verses as a demonstration of his love towards them is simply this, I am with you. I will be with you. Whatever you face, whatever you're fearful of, I will be with you. That should encourage us in our faith this morning over our fears. Because it follows on a little bit from last week with the assurance that God gave his people when he says to them, do not fear, I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you uh, from, with your, my righteous right hand. And so the promises that are given here, because there are expected trials, there will always be trials, there will always be trouble, there will always be difficulties, and trials come in a variety of forms, and we can see it here as he uses the, the illustration of, you know, sometimes a trial is water, which tries to drown us, and sometimes the trials are rivers, which try to overwhelm us. And sometimes our trials are fires which try to destroy us. And then sometimes our trials are flames which try to consume us. 
And, and really, if we took those illustrations and applied them to our circumstances, there will always be things that we face that simply try overwhelm us or try to destroy us or try to consume us. But there's a promise that's made here. Uh, and you see, the promise is this. It doesn't say, it doesn't say if you pass through these things, almost like you may do, you might do. It's almost guaranteed in a sense because it says when you pass, and each of us will face different trials and different troubles, uh, different circumstances, different situations. Uh, so it, it's when we pass through those, but it also says this, the promise is made both to them that read this passage at the time, but also it doesn't say destroy, it says pass. Yeah. Part of the demonstration of God loving us is firstly, he is with us, but secondly, it's this. It says those things that we face will not destroy us because God is with us. And so we will pass through them. Is it uncomfortable being in the water, feeling as though it's overwhelming you or drowning you? A sense, absolutely. Is it uncomfortable standing before the fire uh, in front of the flame and feeling hot and burned up and, and feeling as though it's going to consume me? Is that, yes, but it doesn't say that it will ever destroy us it says that we will pass through them why will we pass through them because he loves us and because we are his this morning you see water and fire in scripture often represent God's wrath and judgment as well it was water that destroyed Noah's generation it was burning sulfur that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in 2 Peter 3 verse 10 it says but the day of the Lord will come like a thief the heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare you see so water and fire are not only pictures of total destruction in scripture but also a purification from sin and you see if we preach a message and what Isaiah gets right in his 66 chapters is this he preaches of a message of judgment which God brings, but he also preaches of a message of hope that God brings. And so you therefore can't preach one without the other. You have to preach this idea that all we need to do is preach the love of God and that's it. No, we, we can't just preach the love of God. We, we must preach the wrath of God. God has given us a choice. He has, he's given us a decision that the people have to make. The problem with the people in Isaiah is simply this. They had made the wrong choices. They had to accept the consequences of their choices. They got sold into captivity, slavery, and exile because of the consequences of the decisions that they made. And every time I read the book of Isaiah and I'm coming through the sermons here, I'm drawn back to this point with the, with, with the people, with what God says to the people. He's declaring to them that, that, that you are my I love you. He says that simply, you are my people, I'm your God. But it just isn't quite enough to draw them to him. Uh, and, and so therefore I look at it and think, well, God doesn't robotically control us. You know, that therefore we have a decision that we have to make when God presents this upon the table for us to say, what's the choice that we make when God is saying to us that, that he loves us, that we are his and we belong to him? We have that choice of accepting that or doing as the people do, rejecting it and saying, well, we'll just continue to live our own way. God is saying to them, he says, I have all this for you because I love you. You see, going through the rivers of difficulty, the fires of trial, it'll either drown you or consume you, it will make you stronger. There is no alternative with God working in your life 
than going through the trials and the troubles of difficulty. It's how God molds us and shapes us. As I've said before, it would be easy to pray for something and then God suddenly blast us with some sort of supernatural beam from outer space and it simply changed us. You know, if you pray for patience, God will put you in situations that test your patience. You know, if you're praying that God help me to love unlovely people, it says you'll be surrounded by unlovely people because that will help to mold and change the people. God doesn't just blast us with something and says, oh, there you go, I've got it. I can suddenly love the people I don't like. He puts us in that situation that molds us and changes us in the trials and the troubles that we face. It's because God is doing a work in us. But we see this uh, as well, that God points them past their present circumstances to both his command and his promise. One of the things that has stood out for me in Isaiah, and we love to declare the promises of God and hold on to the promises of God. You know, most of the promises of God in the Bible are preceded by a command or a responsibility that we have to do. It says the idea that all we do is claim the promises and the promises belong to us. Most of the promises in the Bible are preceded by a command that we have to do and take responsibility for. Here's the example. We're told the command is do not fear. The promise is I will be with you in verse 2. In verse 5, the command is do not fear. The promise is I am with you. In everything that we face in life, God does give us the promises that we need. But there's often a command that precedes that that is mine and yours responsibility to simply say, well, I'm not going to fear because I know the promise is he is with me. And we hold on to that as the people hold on to that in this situation here that simply not only is he for us, but he is with us. You see, God has another or a mission here. He has another thing that he wants to do. He wants to reveal to the world that it is love. And he's, he's doing, excuse me, he's doing it by the revelation of his love to these people. So the world would know that God has done this. And you see, what he does is Isaiah writes, and, he, he, and we've talked about this a couple of times now, that they're reminded of what's gone on in the past. They're, they're told what happened in a sense yesterday, you know, and, and there's a reference to the Exodus. And in Exodus 20, verse 2, we see, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. There's God reminding them and telling them, he says, I've already done this. I've already done this before. He's faithful today because he was faithful yesterday. And Isaiah in these seven verses, he, he refers back to the past several times just to give the people a confidence in the present. We can't believe God will let us down today if he hasn't let us down yesterday. Our confidence and our assurance is built on the foundation of God's promises. But those, that foundation was begun to be built yesterday. It hasn't something that we just suddenly, well, he's going to let me down. Well, we stop a second and we look to yesterday and previous circumstances and say, well, God's not let me down then. Why would he let me down now? That's what he's saying to the people. Here he simply refers to God as Yahweh. And the readers would have known that this was the name that, that God revealed himself as to Moses at the burning bush. And you see, when we're reminded of something, there's something that clicks within here that says, oh yes, I remember. I, I remember that has happened. 
It says the word redeemer uh, that's used in this, the word redeem that's used is exactly the same phrase, uh, exactly the same word which the book of Exodus used to describe the Passover when they were redeemed. So immediately they think that we associate the present situation with the past promises of God, knowing that God would not fail us or let us down today because he didn't let us down and fail us yesterday. And so that pass through the waters would have caused any number of these people to remember the opening of the Red Sea. And all of these things bring us to, to this. And I thought that Oswald Chambers said this, and I thought this is so true. God is the God of our yesterdays, and he allows the memory of them in order to turn the past into a ministry of spiritual culture for the future. God reminds us of the past to protect us from a very shallow security in the present. That simply the foundation of the past is built on the promises of God. And we are certain today because of those promises that he made yesterday. It's what he said in this story. The same God that led them out uh, in Exodus is the same God that speaks to the people today. The same God that redeemed them at the Passover is the same God that is redeeming them from slavery now. The same God who opened up the rivers, the, the Red Sea, is the same God that will do the same thing today. And the people's assurance and confidence is built because of those promises. And so they learn from this past event and they simply now can rest in this promise once again for God to bring them back into their own land. But as God say, do not fear, I have redeemed you and called you. You are mine and I will be with you. I give, I love, I give. I am with you, I will bring, I will say, I have created you for my glory. God does everything he does, not to make us look good, but simply for his glory. It's always for his glory. He will share his glory with no other. And even here he says, he says, why would God do all of this, redeem the people, call them by name, rescue them? Not, not necessarily, well, not primarily for their benefit, but for his benefit. It's how his glory is, re is revealed because we, like them, are created for a purpose, for his glory. And so in glorifying God, we are fulfilling the purpose that we were created for. He says there is a danger sometimes, particularly in the church culture that we have today, that it simply has become about me, myself, and I with God. That simply, God, my destiny, my plan, God. It says, my ministry, God, my gifting, God, my talent, God. And God draws us back sometimes to things like this. We said, it's never about us. It's always about him. It's always about what he is doing. And we just get this tiny sense of privilege to be a part of what God is doing, not for our glory, but always for his glory. And he says, the truth is that he's created us and he has redeemed us. But most importantly, with this final point, his motivation for doing all of this is he loves us and we are precious in his sight regardless of what anybody else has said about you or what regardless of what anybody has said about me and all the names that they might have called me and all the labels they might have attached to me it says it doesn't matter because the most important one this morning I am his I thought I might get a better response than that I know it's 11.15 on a Sunday morning you can go back to bed this afternoon. 
but the best label anyone has ever attached to you is this, covered by God, you are his this morning not just his you are precious in his sight he doesn't just put up with you as you know there are people that we just put up with you're thinking of people now I know you are you put, he doesn't just put up with us he loves us because we are his we belong to him he will lead us through the waters and he will defend us from the fire and the flames because his motivation is always this he loves us he loves us he loves us and we are precious in his sight. Who cares what everybody else thinks? I'm only concerned with what God thinks. And he says this, he says, me, I'm precious in his sight. You are precious in his sight. You are precious in his sight. You are precious in his sight. And he loves you this morning. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you. Your word declares this morning, Lord, you've not just created us, and redeemed us and called us by name. We're not only special to you, but God, we don't even look and think, if we go through the trials of difficulty and trouble, will you be with us? It tells us that when, when we go through them, you are with us. And God, if we didn't get it the first time, you repeated it again. In a later verse when he says, do not fear, I am with you. And God, what is your motivation for this? You love us. Thank you, Lord. We are yours this morning. We belong to you today. And everything you've done in our lives, everything that we think we should get credit for, we don't deserve any credit for you have saved us and called us to your purpose for your glory this morning. And Father, we just come before you and say thank you today. Thank you for saving us and redeeming us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that we are precious in your sight this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.